0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but
1: no one compares. Badass Women's Hour, excel with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two,
2: three, four.
1: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Extra bits, our little gift for you, podcast subscribers. This week we meet Derek Bardowell, the author of No Win Race, a new book which looks at being black and British in the 21st century. Derek Bardowell is a writer, an award-winning charity leader, uh, and his new book No Win Race is out now, talking about being black and British and sports fans sometimes in (laughs) the UK. Hello Derek, welcome to Badass Women's Hour.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, So you called the book No Win Race. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that at the end of the book you haven't found the answers to the questions?
3: (laughs) Um, I I would be a millionaire if I had all of the answers. (laughs) Um, But one thing, I I guess to some degree, I would say that there are some answers that are in the book that um, perhaps the powers that be have either ignored, swept under the carpet or tried to silence. And I guess for me... Um, Part of writing the book was being able to expose some of the brilliant people who perhaps you you don't see in in the public eye who have um, either created programs or made stances that that should be noted and shouldn't be um, swept under the carpet
1: it's a very personal book because it was sort of inspired mm. by your relationship with your child and then it talks about yeah. your relationship with your father. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that?
3: Yeah, well, well, sport was a way that we all bonded, well we still bond. We yeah. you know, we'll be watching the Champions League final in a couple of weeks time together and, you know, eating good food and shouting incredibly loudly <laughs> together, you know. Um because, you know, as a kid it was the, a platform that presented positive images of black black people. Um, You know, it was a, a space, I guess, where there was lots of progression. Um, but as the years have gone on, you, you tend to realise and you grow up that that progression is in a, a space that's very comfortable for this country and very con- uh, comfortable for um, you know the mainstream and that's black physicality and black people on the field of play. Um, the progression off the field of play, um, you know, I say in the book that you know people are happy with black bodies but not with black brains. And I guess um, part of the the journey of the story is how um, some things have changed and maybe the racism that's experienced is not quite so blatant but racism is still there it's still very much prominent in this country Um, but it's just uh, it mutates it's it's a very different um, lens and and the worry for me is uh, how my son uh, will try to cope with that in a country that is in denial about racism
2: so uh, listening to you, I, I completely agree. But I also think back to my memories of, um, for me, black British sporting heroes. So Frank Bruno mm-hmm. and Chris Eubank and for Christie, they were absolutely acceptable mm-hmm. until they did something quote unquote wrong. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's when Everything change yeah. changes, and they become the most hated person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's as though, though the thing that they have done, uh, they, there's no redeeming themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hear you, but I also struggle with that. You, as, as long as you are towing a very specific line, mm-hmm. you are fine. Mm-hmm but there is no room for deviation. Whereas white players, you know, can ebb and flow, not be very good, not win, um, commit a crime, and still, you know, still be heralded after- Sleep with their key player's wife. Yeah, you know, do all sorts and it's it's absolutely fine. Uh, and even now, thinking about Raheem Sterling and oh. everything that he goes through, and in the news reports, it just said he's just done something amazing. I don't really know what he did. Mm-hmm. He like scored some extra goals or something. I, I'm obviously not <laughs> into football. Not my area. I don't no. know. So basically, he, he's he's broken a, a record for scoring goals in some kind of championship. I'm sure people at home who <laughs> know sport are like, what? <laughs> man, what are you talking about? Anyway, uh, but he is absolutely vilified. Yeah. Anthony Joshua. again has to toe a line the minute that he starts losing uh, lewis hamilton again you start losing tiger woods and 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 and. you cannot do anything wrong
3: yeah absolutely and and and, you know i guess the raheem sterling uh, story in the last few months has been in the public eye Mm -hmm. quite a bit because he's come out and been very vocal and and i absolutely applaud him for doing that but historically um you know and to this day black athletes cannot get away with as much as white athletes can um you're right they have to toe toe a line um but at the same time um it's been a very important stance that he's come out with because i'm not sure an athlete in this country of that stature and he is the best player best best english player at the moment has come out and made that stance but but you know, we can't stick to individual incidents of racism and we can't stick to, okay, this is a particular campaign and something that's happening now. The book will tell you that, you know, this has been happening <laughs> historically and will continue happening. And you need to have a deep, sustained, systemic approach to doing this. And and again, I, I look at this as a great moment, but it is a moment until I actually see the impact of that and I and until I see... The faces that sitting around the board table making the decisions or signing the checks being different, then nothing's going to change. it will stay as a moment, so it needs to be deep and it needs to be sustained
0: but,
2: but what what is the change ultimately
3: well let's put it this way if I mean I would look at this way'm I'm, I'm black I'm male and and so these issues I live it okay, mm-hmm. so I can't mm-hmm. leave it okay if there is um people that sitting around the table leadership wise who can leave it who are not living it then they're not the right people to be around the table if anyone thinks for one moment that england win the world cup through some dated conception of empire okay then they're deluded they're absolutely deluded uh, england will win the world cup because it will be a hyphenated nation people of dual identity who will win the world cup for england If you do not have people that recognise that, sitting around the table making decisions around that, then I would absolutely question who's sitting around the table in the first place to be making the decisions. (laughs) And for me, that stands for not just sport, not just football, but that stands for every institution in this country.
1: We're going to keep talking to Derek after this break. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk
3: Radio.
0: She'll get you talking. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash Uh Derek, before the break, we
1: were talking about how as a black man in Britain, you look around the boardrooms, you look around mm. government and you're like, mm-hmm. where am I? Yeah. How is that going to change? Because I look at it and mm. I have the same question, but I'm like, I feel like we have told everybody this so much Mm -hmm. and the snail's pace of movement is exhausting
3: yeah and and, you know the snail's pace you know I think so I think for one people keep saying to me oh well it's just a generation that needs to die out but it's not a generation that needs to die out because you know you still have a a younger generation that thinks that racism doesn't exist so first and foremost you have to acknowledge that it exists and you have to acknowledge that in order to do your job well and to order in order to serve people well that you know, you need to address this as an issue. If a teacher is achieving, you know, great results with only a particular section of of kids um, and they're not, you know, working to benefit, you know, kids of colour, then you would call them a bad teacher. So why would you enable that to happen in, I don't know, commentary for sport? Or why would you um, enable people that are heads of sports to to get away with that? So you, you do need an absolute new conception of how you recruit and what good looks like. Because, you know, you would say... You know, it's not about having a diversity and inclusion person in your HR department. It's actually about having someone, that, as I said, lives it and breathes it, who is making those key decisions right from the beginning. And until people realize that and then until people actually look at models, be it, I don't know, different models that have actually worked to benefit around these issues, then, you know, we're just going to have the same decision makers making those um on data point, choices.
1: what do you think of things like the rooney rule in the u.s which says so one of the things i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. about your book you talk about how um when we look at the number of black players mm-hmm. in things like football there is large numbers of black players but you don't mm-hmm. see the same levels in management yeah. coaching mm-hmm. etc and they had this with mm-hmm. the nfl in the u.s so they instituted a rule which was i think on the long list you had mm-hmm. to have a certain number of yeah. african-american candidates do you think that has worked or not
3: Um, I I don't think it's good enough I don't think it's strong enough Um, uh, over here I I would look outside of sport you know um, I don't know what the levels of diversity are at I don't know, Netflix, but, you know, I was reading a blog recently in terms of their model um, and their model is incredibly successful in terms of the content that they produce that celebrates what they've got. You know, I went back in the book and looked at the Great Britain basketball team back in 1988 and the level of diversity in that team, trust me, if... People, the administrators at the time, had recognized what they had at the time. Basketball would not be a marginalized sport at yeah. this particular point. I also look at things like, I don't know, the Harlem Children's Zone in in, in America and what they've done with black leadership around, um, you know, social issues and what they've done from a completely systemic level. So for me, it's, it's you know, completely restructuring what's going on. But, you know, you've got to look outside of sport to look at these things and at the moment the Rooney rule might be the best we have for sport as an example but I would look towards as I said be it Harlem Children's Zone or the Women's National Basketball Association the WNBA celebrates not just the diversity but also celebrates the activism of their athletes as part of their their model and that has not affected the effectiveness of that particular league
2: I, I completely agree with you that we need to look at systems, but I'm also I, I'm thinking about the individuals. Mm-hmm. So john barnes uh ian wright Sol campbell all of you know those guys could have been in management positions mm-hmm. by now i think Sol has been Sol trying is, yeah. for a while um and is currently the manager Macclesfield, yeah
3: yeah kept them up so, and given
2: yeah. that he was uh an invincible and i didn't really know what invincible was is it invincible invincible yeah yeah, Arsenal. yeah. um I, yeah so, yeah i was walking next to him and someone was like here's an invincible i was like what's that and they were like oh no anyway uh what? Why? Why are these individuals not breaking through? Is it the is it the system, or is it that that pathway from being a player to being a manager to the boardroom just doesn't exist? Because it's not like there are lots of um, football players that actually get into into those spaces. So is it also about creating pathways? Full stop.
3: Well, well, those pathways exist for X players that are white so you know the pathways are there um but again it's about it is changing in the system because ultimately if you sit round the table and someone looks at you and says your face doesn't fit then it doesn't matter whether you get an interview and it doesn't matter whether you're absolutely exceptional for your job if you don't get that level of support from the boardroom when you're in those positions or you're not supported you know we've just had an incredible manager chris Houghton, who was recently Sacked from Brighton, you know, after keeping them up into the, in the Premiership, um, and he's done a remarkable job there. But you know, and again, I'm not making any accusations here or anything but i'm just saying that you know what you alluded to earlier natalie about um the line that black athletes and black managers have to play so much thinner mm. than their white counterparts that you're talking about an absolute change of the system in order for that to change but you have more than capable black managers and coaches who could be doing those jobs um but you know it's not down to them Right. Because, you know, we know what's happened in society. We, we fix, you know, the black kids, we fix them. You've got to challenge it systemically. And if systemically you're talking about what the leadership looks like at the moment, if you're talking about what recruitment looks like at the moment, then those mm-hmm. are the things that you need to start tackling. And they need to be held accountable. If they're not held accountable um, at the highest levels, then nothing's going to change. And as I said, you're talking about a long term sustained change. You're not talking about a campaign and you're certainly not talking about it on an individual level. But I'm
2: going to put it back on footballers. I don't see footballers standing up to campaign or uh, become activists for anything. Mm. I don't see them getting behind women. I don't see them... Put, you know, g- giving mm. their money to charity I don't see them mm. doing anything and I, I'm, I'm being quite hyperbolic here but mm. I don't see them doing anything other than driving flash cars and trying to find the girlfriend or the wife that fits a certain model mm-hmm. and so when will footballers step up and say do you know what I, I'm in a team mm-hmm. I back my team yep. I, you, you've got examples in here of other footballers being racist so if the footballers can't be bothered to stand up for anyone else I'm like do you know what why should I be standing up for you? I,
3: I think for me, that's why, you know, the Eniola Oluko case for me was mm-hmm. so important, because I think she was that person that stood up. But um, again, a woman. Can you give yep. us, sorry,
1: sorry, for anyone yep. who doesn't know that, can you?
3: Well, just because she had experienced um, racism within the England national team, and she had, um, you know, she, she had brought it up and she she you know, had uh, been able to represent herself and that particular issue really, really well. But I think what was brilliant about what she did is that, again, she looked at that and tackled it systemically. She did it with unbelievable dignity, but with not, in my opinion, again, I don't know the inside workings of it, but not with a high level of support. You didn't see... I think it was Stormzy was the most vocal person that came out Mm -hmm. that supported her. But to me, that is not a story that should be lost because for all of the things now that Danny Rose and Raheem Sterling are doing, I think that's off the back of what Eniola had done and what she had achieved. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that as things go on and all of the media hype goes on about racism in sport at the moment or in football at the moment, that that story... That shouldn't be lost, you know because for me, that was the game changer. That was the door that opened, and that's the thing that gave, I think footballers now more agency to be able to say things. But absolutely, if you look at sport historically, it has silenced women of color historically. So I think for me, that was a kind of important end or end to the book, but an important lens in terms of looking at where solutions will come from in the future.
2: I, I, But I I, 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 complete, I obviously agree with you, but I'm frustrated about the fact that the men have been going through this for ages mm. and it took a woman, a black mm. woman to stand up and say, mm. this isn't good enough, even when her teammates wouldn't stand beside yep, her. Yep, yep, yep. And I didn't see any of the old guards standing mm-hmm. up to back her mm-hmm. and their careers aren't even on the line. So they don't even mm-hmm. play anymore, but they didn't say anything. Yep. And I didn't see any of the new guards standing up to back her. Mm-hmm. So it's just a bit like, well, yeah yeah
1: Do you think yeah. this is? You talk yeah. in the book, Derek, about how you thought that people were going to, when they had a level of success, they were going to be more political. Yeah. You're like, you wanted more mm. Ian rights and I wanted more political Ian mm. Wrights. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is almost a generation that were kind of taught that success comes at a price and the price um, is when you get that success, you keep your mouth shut and you play the game?
3: Yeah. But um historically, yes. Yeah. But at the moment, you're talking about the levels of wealth that these athletes have at the moment, they don't need to worry about that as much as they perhaps needed to in the past. You know, I would have said 20, 30 years ago, you know, if you were going to be vocal, you would have probably been pushed out of the game. Um, It's going to be really difficult if you are uh, playing for England, got 40 or 50 caps behind you and several million Twitter followers, to be able to get pushed out of the game that way or if you've got a massive sporting brand behind you Mm. really really difficult but you know again i i i think you know it's great that the athletes now are using their voice you know when i was writing it last year none of this stuff was happening um it's happening now um but again you know i am interested in how long the athletes as well as the people that are backing the athletes stay on this particular Mm -hmm. issue because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, those athletes are still living with this issue. They're still living Mm -hmm. with these problems. And like anyone that's, um, black and either successful or trying to cope with life in this country it's incredibly tiring and you don't leave it so all of the people that are backing um, these athletes at the moment and enabling them or helping them to get to this spot you know I want to see if they're still going to be around in a year's time or two years time or three years time because if they're not then it's just a moment for them but for us it's not a moment this is like a permanent thing for us
1: what do you think about sports brands that are talking about racism? So Nike's recent recent stand with the uh, American footballer and civil rights activist. Yeah. Do you think that more brands should be making stands in sport? Because they have a lot of impact and a, and a far reaching reach
3: yeah but there's a i guess the issue for me is there's one thing making a stand because you're going to make a profit from it mm-hmm. but actually if um some of the things that you do contradict that and you would find with probably a number of sporting companies that their ethics around the contracts and their sponsorships would absolutely yeah. contradict the stance that they're making then i i you know i don't see that as being something that will be sustained over a long period of time um so it's great because it maybe gives the the athlete who gets pushed out, like uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, has been pushed out of the sport, it gives him the ability to be able to earn as well as to be an activist. But actually, um, if that sports company or a sports company um, is contradicting that in their behaviours with other athletes or other lesser known athletes or women of colour um, in terms of their then then how impactful is it really going to be?
2: And what you're specifically talking about there is the fact that Nike pulled up for um, having clauses in their contracts mm-hmm. that um, didn't support women who were pregnant. So if yep. you were pregnant, you're ultimately ducked fees. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Derek, we started the
1: interview and I said the book's called No Win Race and that sounds like there's no good answers. Uh, coming back to that, just before we end, is there... Did you find anything that you were like actually this is working and we can do more of it? Please say so, yes. <laughs> Just one <laughs> no. little thing. One do, little
3: do, do you know what? I, as I said, my cautious, uh, me being cautiously optimistic—is yeah. is the fact that in um, the practices of you know people that I highlight in a book, like Michelle Moore, does unbelievable work. You know, I you know um, the WNBA, you know. I point to people and to leagues and to athletes that have done things that are absolutely remarkable in the book. As I said, I want to see more of those people in power and I'm gonna see more of those models being adopted as opposed to what we see at the moment.
1: Brilliant. Derek Padovell, thank you so much. Book No Win Race is out now. It is brilliant. It's a story of belonging, Britishness and sport. I encourage you all to go and read it. One, two, three, four! This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour, HR, um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.